The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Brought panic to their minds The evil of that hour Was stronger than the sun That beat on them With nowhere left to run The chariots of Egypt Drew nearer as they cried Yet Moses stood there calmly With a fearless faith inside He said there is a power Far greater than the sword Stand still and you will witness A mighty salvation from our Lord And then the Red Sea parted For now there was a
the governor of Tennessee, has just signed an executive order authorizing FEMA camp, authorizing people to be arrested, for people to be taken without their permission and placed in camps where they will be isolated from their wife or their children for medical reasons. This has not ever happened in America before. I read the document. It's terrifying, the implications. And then recognizing the federal government also has similar documents. It is terrifying. When I look at the violence that is coming upon America, I look at the fires. More than 500 homes burned in California. When I look at the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the flooding and the drought, when I look at the crime, it would be easy to become very, very fearful about what is coming upon America. When I look at what's happening with our economy, they're printing money that if you or I did what they're doing, they'd put us in jail. But the Federal Reserve, which is not federal and is not a reserve, is printing money like there is no tomorrow. And there is no tomorrow financially for America. Inflation is skyrocketing. Churches are are not stepping forward. They're, many of them are just playing games with God and their business and their culture, trying to secure their, their futures, not worried about the future of God's people, not worried about the people who are, who are lost. I've been weeping over the last 24 hours over so many people I love so dearly who do not know the gospel and who are not willing to talk with me about the gospel. Muslims, atheists. One person said to me, I don't believe in the metaphysical. Don't talk to me about your Jesus and we'll be fine. I'm frightened for them. And so I've been spending a lot of time in the last several weeks fasting, praying, crying out to God. There has to be a way that the gospel can go forth in America, the true gospel of righteousness and holiness, of salvation by faith, changed, made holy, made righteous. There has to be a way for this gospel to go forth with great power. I'm crying out to God about that. I can't do it. Today we're going to talk about part of the answer. And I want you to hear the whole broadcast. You'll need to have the whole picture put together. And it's going to come straight from the scriptures. I don't believe in accidents. In the scripture, when a story is given, I know the hand of God was right in the middle of it. In the story of my life, in the story of your life, I know God's hand is right in the middle of it. 
There are no accidents. Things don't happen by chance. There is a God who rules the universe. And he is a God of love and compassion and incredible mercy. And he feels your pain. He sees your fear. He also sees if you're lukewarm and indifferent and just going after the gods of the world. He sees all of this. Our lives are literally in the palm of Jesus' hand. He will determine when and who will live and die, who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. And the standards by which that will be decided are all written in the scriptures. There's nothing left to chance. Now the people, they're coming out of Egypt dancing and shouting and praising. I tell you what, I love to go to Jewish weddings. I love to go to Jewish celebrations because they know how to celebrate. They know how to dance and sing and praise their God. Well, they were doing that. They were joyful as they made their way quickly into the desert, into the wilderness. Now, I've, I've been to Israel. I've seen that wilderness. Now, believe me, I do not want to walk out into that wilderness by myself. It is a desolate, rocky, it's a place of serpents, poison, a place of scorpions. It is not smooth walking. It is hard walking. Some of it is loose sand. Some of it is just very, very rocky. They're taking their carts. They're taking their livestock. They're taking their families. But they're rejoicing. Some, many of the women are carrying the kneading boards on their shoulders. They'll make unleavened bread that night for their families around the campfires. They brought some food, not a lot. So they make their way out into the desert and they are being led by the Lord by a pillar of cloud by day that is giving them natural air conditioning. And they're being led as they go into the dark to set up their camp. That cloud turns to fire and it lights up the whole camp. It is the, the Shekinah glory of God. These are his people. He's in charge of them. Did you get that? If you say you serve Jesus Christ, you belong to him. And he's the one who will lead you. He will protect you. He will guard you. And he will carry you all the way through into eternity. If you're clean before him. If you have left your sin and you have repented earnestly, you have been zealous. And you are clean by the blood of Jesus, and washed with the water. Now let's go. 
to the scriptures, chapter 13. They're at the edge of the desert. The pillar is there. And when they get up in the morning, they go into that barren wilderness. And the Lord speaks to Moses and gives him very specific direction. Tell the Israelites, this is chapter 14 of Exodus, verse 2, to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haroth. Pi-Haroth. Pi-Haroth is place of liberty. Remember, this is now in the depths of the wilderness, and they have missed a turn. And the Lord decides to have them turn around and walk back a short distance and then go toward the Red Sea. Now, as they go toward the Red Sea, and I've seen this in film, there is a narrow passageway between two mountains. The desert is behind. The mountains are there and the Red Sea, and there's a large open space where the children of Israel could set up their camp. So they go directly opposite Migdal, which means a tower or a fortress, and Baal Zephon, which means land of the north or land of judgment. God is saying by the names of the place he has chosen that he is the tower and the fortress for the children of Israel, his people, that he is bringing them into a place of wonderful liberty. But he is also going to bring Baal Zephon. He is going to bring judgment upon the Egyptians. Now, the Israelites have closed themselves in, and Pharaoh, with his spies, is saying, the Israelites are wandering around in the land in utter confusion. They're hemmed in by the desert. Now the Lord says in verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. Does God harden a man's heart? Yes, absolutely. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. Don't tell me Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The Lord says, I hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, how do we justify God hardening a man's heart? Well, let's be clear. Every human being has sinned and fallen far short of the glory of God and deserves no mercy but deserves the death penalty. This Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, had scorned the Lord Almighty, even at times saying, I have sinned against the Lord, but still refusing to repent and obey. So it was a combination at times of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, and other times it was Pharaoh hardening his own heart as he faced decision after decision. 
God did not owe Pharaoh anything except judgment. And that judgment is now going to fall upon he and his people because they did not learn anything about the glory of God. I want to say this to you very gently. Many of you have seen the majesty of God deliver you time after time. And yet, when you face another situation that seems impossible to you, you say, well, I'll just have to wait and see. What? You have to wait and see? I don't have to wait and see. I know my God is faithful. He has done in the past everything I needed. He has carried me in his arms. He has forgiven me for my sins. He has straightened out and cleaned up my mess. He has provided wonderfully for me. And he has for you also. So who are you to harden your heart against the Most High God like Pharaoh and say, well, we'll see what happens. No, I'm not going to see what happens. I'm going to believe with faith what God is going to do. I know what he's going to do. He's going to deliver me. He's going to carry me. You need that same confidence. I urge you today, don't be like the children of Israel. Don't test God. Don't doubt the power of God to deliver you physically or spiritually. He is our healer. I'll be dealing with that later, probably next week. God is our healer. Do you need to be healed? Are you tired of the sickness? Are you tired of the anguish, the pain? Then go to God. Go to Jesus. By his stripes we are healed. Now he may say to you like he did to the Apostle Paul. No, you need that thorn to humble your heart. But my grace is sufficient for you. You see, he's the one in charge, not me. I trust him. Do you? So now, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He's going to pursue them, and he's going to try to recapture them, killing many. But the Lord said, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So when the king of Egypt was told that the children of Israel were all gone and they had plundered their Egyptian friends, their minds changed. And they said, what have we done? We have let our slaves go. We need our slaves. Can I just say this, please? There is nothing in my mind quite as ugly as slavery and racial injustice. It is so dehumanizing. It is so disgusting. He makes his chariot ready. 
all the 600 of the best chariots are brought forth. All the other chariots of Egypt, the officers, the cavalry, the foot soldiers. You see, the army is the only thing that God has not touched in all of the plagues he brought on Egypt. The army of Egypt is still very much intact. So now the Lord hardens the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursues the Israelites who are marching out boldly. That is, they are celebrating. They are dancing as they go. They are shouting encouragement to one another. They are having a party as they leave this cruel land of slavery. But the Egyptians, verse 9, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, the horsemen, the troops, they pursue the Israelites and they overtake them as they are camped by the sea near Pi-Harath, place of liberty, opposite Baal-Zephon, that is a place of judgment upon the Egyptians. And as Pharaoh approaches, the dust cloud is tremendous. The children of Israel see that dust cloud coming. Spies that were sent out probably came racing back, reporting the Egyptians are coming, the Egyptians are coming. The children of Israel were terrified. And they began to cry out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? Realism is beginning to set in. They're trapped. There is no possible way of escape. No possible way. The mountains... The desert behind through a narrow opening, and through that opening comes pouring the soldiers and the chariots of the most powerful army on the earth. Those chariots are like tanks. What have you done, Moses, by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we save you in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, I want to read for you a a powerful passage. It's found in a book entitled Gleanings in Exodus, published by Moody Press. The author is a pastor and a scholar, Arthur W. Pink. He's now passed, but I enjoy Arthur Pink. I don't agree with him on some very major issues. He is a Calvinist, but he has some deep insights into the workings of God. And I want to share this with you. This is Arthur Pink. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not! Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, 
you shall never see them again, ever. The first word was fear not. The servant of God would quieten their hearts and set them in perfect peace before him. Fear not is one of the great words of Scripture reoccurring all through the Bible. Fear not was what God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 1. Fear not, neither thou be discouraged, was his message to Joshua in chapter 8, verse 1. Fear not was his command to Gideon, Judges sixteen twenty-three. Fear not was David's counsel to Solomon, First Chronicles 28, verse 10. This will be the word of the Jewish remnant in a day to come. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. Isaiah 35, verse 4. Fear not was the angel's counsel to Daniel. Chapter 10, verse 12. Fear not, little flock, is the Lord's message to us. Luke 12, verse 32. I will fear no evil, said the psalmist. Chapter 23, verse 4. For thou art with me. But how is this to be attained? How is the heart to be established in peace? Isaiah 26, verse 3, sums it all up. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed in thee, because he trusteth in thee. Now let me stop for a moment. I want you to hear what is being said. Moses, at the command of God, is saying to the children of Israel, Remember, they're hemmed in on all three sides, and the army wants to come and take them back to Egypt as slaves, killing many of them. And the word of the Lord to them is, Fear not. Don't be afraid. So you face a medical condition. The Lord's word to you is, don't be afraid. I've had to look at that. I've been to a doctor, probably I could count on one hand the number of times I've gone to a physician. I'm not against doctors. I'm, I think they do much good. What have I done when sickness has come upon me? I learned a lesson when I was just a little boy. I was at home in the country, and I came down with a very severe fever. I was so sick, I couldn't even walk. I lay in my bed, sweating. My mother was desperately concerned. My father began applying ice-cold 
compresses to my body to try to bring my temperature down. It was just over 104 degrees. They were very concerned that I would go into convulsions. Mother said, I'm going to call Dr. Tyron, and I'm going to ask him to make a house call. She was friends with Dr. Tyron. Dad said, We need to pray. As I lay in that bed, almost in a delirium, and I had been there now for several days, dehydrated, sick, not knowing if I would live or die, I said to my mama, Mama, I'd like to pray. And she said, okay, Raymond. So lying in that bed, almost almost in convulsions, I began to pray. A very simple child's prayer. Please, Jesus, will you come and heal me? I will serve you all the days of my life. I'd like to live. Will you heal me? Mother had called Dr. Tyron. She, of course, prayed also, agreeing with me and asking Jesus to heal me. And almost immediately, it was like a cool breeze began to blow over my body. There was a a knock on our front door. Mother went to answer the door. It was Dr. Tyron. I got up out of bed. I wasn't dizzy. That cool breeze had totally taken away my temperature. And Dr. Tyron came into my small bedroom that I shared with my dear brother Don in a tiny little Inselbrook Inselbrick house out in the country, a very humble home. I was out of bed. I said, Jesus healed me. Dr. Tyron said, well, Raymond, let's take your temperature. It was normal. (laughs) I learned that day that for the rest of my life, I would trust Jesus with my health. If he told me to go to a doctor, I would go. But now, 76 years of age, there's only one other time I went to a doctor that I desperately needed to. I had a very severe kidney infection, high fever, no money to see a doctor. My brother Don came to the house and he said, Raymond, you're going to go see a doctor. And he he put me in the car and he took me to see the doctor and he paid for the doctor's bill. The doctor gave me a prescription and I took it and I was healed. I'm not against doctors. Please understand me. But my doctor is first and foremost Jesus. 
I trust in his healing power. And he says to me, Raymond, don't be afraid. Now, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know if it's a lack of finances. I don't know if it's a broken relationship. I don't know if it's a sickness in your body. All I can tell you is that the word of the Lord to you is, don't be afraid. Live or die, don't be afraid. Now, the next word is a much harder word to receive. I'll read it for you. Stand still. This was the next word of Moses to Israel. All attempts at self-help must end. All activities of the flesh must cease. The workings of nature must be subdued. Here is the right attitude of faith in the presence of a trial. Stand still. This is impossible to flesh and blood. All who know in any measure the restlessness of the human heart under anticipated trial and difficulty will be able to form some conception of what is involved in standing still. Nature must be doing something. It will rush hither and thither. It will feign some hand in solving the problem. And although it may attempt to justify and sanctify its worthless doings by bestowing upon them the imposing and popular title of a legitimate use of means, Yet are they the plain and positive fruits of unbelief, which always shuts out God and sees not save every dark cloud of its own creation. Unbelief creates or magnifies difficulties and then sets us about removing them by our own hustling and fruitless action which in reality do not raise a dust around us, which prevents our seeing God's salvation. I've been told all my life, God helps those who help themselves. People have claimed even that that's in Scripture. Did you know that's not in the Scripture? In fact, just the opposite is in the Scripture. Trust in the Lord and his mighty hand. If you believe God helps those who help themselves, I will tell you right now, God does not help those who help themselves. And you are left with only human decisions. Now, I know this both at a practical level I've been told, I've been asked by the Lord, will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? He asked me that in a, in a voice that seemed to me to be audible. And I answered immediately, yes. I didn't quite know what I was saying. But immediately that means I don't receive money by asking for me anything. 
It means I don't borrow or go in debt for anything for me. It means when I need something, I go to the Lord and I ask him for it in faith and I wait upon him until he either says to me, no, you don't need that, or I wait for him to bring it to me. I am faithful to do and to be what he has told me to do and to be. But he is the source of all of my supply. I have lived like that now for the past 30 years, having no salary, trusting in the Lord only for what he will give to me. It is a faith walk. I would not have it any other way. If you were to approach me and say, Pastor Ray, I'd like to start giving you a regular salary, I would say, no, thank you. I want and will trust only in the hand of the Lord to provide for me. Now, if you offered that money and I was able to go to the Lord and get a very clear confirmation that he prompted you to do that and it was from his hand, then I would accept whatever he gives. I have set no rules or no regulations, but my, my eating, my drinking, my clothing, my everything comes from the hand of God. My car comes from the hand of God. I walk by faith. And there's not one of you listening today who cannot walk in a similar manner if you are called to by the mighty hand of God. I'm not saying everyone should live like this. But I will remind you that the Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he would give to you all of those things that the pagans run after. What do pagans run after? Food and clothing and housing and transportation, the things of life. The Lord said, I'll give those to you if you will seek first my kingdom. That is, if you will seek in everything you do to build up the kingdom of God. Then I will give you, if you walk in righteousness and you seek my righteousness with all of your heart, I will give you what you need to live. Now, for the church and for the radio broadcast, the Lord told me to ask for offerings, not to sell books, not to sell tapes or CDs, but to invite people by the presence of the Spirit, just as you do in a worship service, to generously give as God chooses to have you give. And I trust Him to prompt you to give when you give i don't i don't take anything for granted i trust what god is doing and when he says okay ray now it's time to leave the radio i know all the money will disappear and it won't be there and he's told me i can't go in debt so i'm off the air it's that simple it's a month to month to month broadcast as he provides the way. I wouldn't live any other way. If I can't trust God 
with my physical well-being. If I can't trust God for money and housing and food, how can I ever trust him for my eternal salvation? And I want to tell you, when I pray, many times I get an immediate answer within minutes or hours. This morning, I needed to hear clearly from the Lord about a certain matter. A certain thing was said to me as coming from the Lord. I went to the Lord and I asked him to show me very clearly with an unmistakable evidence that that word that was spoken was by the Holy Spirit and that it was true and that I was to stand by faith that it would take place as this person told me it would. Within an hour, I had the evidence clearly given to me by the Spirit of God in the physical concrete world. Now, what I want you to hear is that God answers prayer. Quickly, if we're in a place with him where we can hear him, if we're close enough for him that we can see his hand as it moves and understand that it was his hand that moved. Nothing in my life is by chance. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me continue reading. Faith, on the contrary. I'm reading Gleanings in Exodus by Arthur Pink, a wonderful man of God. I disagree with him on his Calvinistic side, but he has learned deep things in the Spirit, in the way God works. Faith, on the contrary, raises the soul above the difficulty straight to God himself and enables one to stand still. We gain nothing by our reckless and anxious efforts. We cannot make one hair white or black, nor add one cubit to our statue. What could Israel do at the Red Sea? Could they dry it up? Could they level the mountains? Could they annihilate the host of Egypt? Impossible. They were enclosed within an penetrable wall of difficulties, in view of which nature could but tremble and feel its own impossibility to deliver itself. But this was just the time for God to act. When unbelief is driven from the scene, when God can enter in order for us to get a proper view of his acting, we must stand still. Every movement of nature is, so far as it goes, a positive hindrance to our reception and enjoyment of the divine interference on our behalf. 
see the salvation of the Lord. It is surprising how many have missed the point here. Most of the commentators regard this word as signifying that Israel to remain passive until the waters of the Red Sea should separate. But this is clearly erroneous. Hebrews 11.29 tells us that it was by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Faith is the opposite of sight. The mistake arises from jumping to the conclusion that see the salvation of the Lord refers to physical sight. It was spiritual sight that Moses referred to, the exercising of the eyes of the heart. Faith is a looking not at things which are seen, but looking at things which are not seen. Second Chronicles chapter 4, verse 18. Strange paradox to the natural man. As we read in Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And of Moses we read, he endured as seeing him who is invisible, Hebrews eleven thirteen. That is seeing him with the eyes of faith. To see the salvation of the Lord, we must first stand still. All fleshly activity must cease. We have to be still if we would know that God is God. Psalms 46.10 For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, you shall see them again no more. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Verses 13 and 14. Notice the repeated use of the future tense here. He will show you. Ye shall see them again no more. The Lord shall fight for you. How this confirms what we have just said. Jehovah's salvation had first to be seen by the eye of faith before it would be seen with the eye of sense that salvation must first be revealed to and received by the hearing of faith, which he will show you today, was the ground of their faith. Striking are the closing words of verse 14. Ye shall hold your peace, or you shall keep your silence. 600,000 men, besides women and children, were to remain motionless in the profound silence which benefited them in a sense, in an unparalleled drama that was being enacted, moving neither hand nor foot nor tongue. How well calculated was such an order to draw the trembling heart of Israel away from a a fatal occupation with its own understandings and fear to faith in the Lord of hosts. Fear not, stand still, be quiet, trust in the Lord. You see, if I were just saying these things to you, you could say, Pastor, that's all fanciful. You don't live that way. Yes, I do. 
This radio broadcast is on the air that way. I eat and sleep and live in a house and have clothing to wear all by faith. I have not earned or paid for one thing that is in my house. It is all from the hand of God. The car I drive, I did not pay one penny for. The Lord provided it in answer to very specific prayer. You see, we either live by faith or we live by fear. We either believe we have to do it all and God is impotent and unable or we believe that all things are in his hand and I trust him and I will obey him and I will cry out to him and wait upon him. I've read stories. This book, C.G. Bevington, the pages are are falling out. The book is falling apart. I need to get a new one. It is full of stories, remarkable miracles by C.G. Bevington, where he would lay on his face for 24 hours, 72 hours, crying out to God until God gave him a very clear answer, and then healings would occur. Deliverances would occur. Money would be provided for transportation and for food, for shelter. I'm not talking about something fanciful. The children of Israel are terrified. They're crying out. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. You have every physical reason to be terrified. He says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Stand still. Be quiet. In other words, shut up. Don't talk. Wait on the Lord. And he will deliver you. He is a God who answers prayer. Time after time, he has delivered me. Now he's brought me into a place of such solitude. I will often spend my day, and the only time I talk to anybody is when I talk to you here. Once in a while, a phone call. Most of my time is spent in fasting and prayer and waiting upon the Lord. But I know that's all about to change. In one hour, everything will shift and revival will come and break out. I trust him. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast today. I hope it's been helpful to you. It's been a privilege to share this information, this material, this faith with you. I want you to walk in it. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. One nine five. Now you can also go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com 
nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, but only give as the Holy Spirit prompts you. This is Holy Spirit business. This is sacred business. This is not secular business. So give as the Lord calls you. My brother, my sister, I love you. I would love to meet with you. I'd love to sit and talk with you and hear your story. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.